We're in uh, our sermon series, Vivid, um, learning to see the world the way that God sees the world. And so uh, you've probably come across this phrase before where you've heard time is money. Time equals money. That, that really time is the most valuable asset that we have. And if you think about it, the way that we talk about our time is really similar to the way that we talk about our money. I mean, we talk about spending time with someone. We talk about wasting time, maybe with someone or doing something. Uh, we, we talk about investing time with someone or on some project, buying time, delaying, delaying, delaying. But there's one thing that we can't do with our time. We can't buy it back or we can't earn it. I mean, have you ever left a movie and thought to yourself, wow, I really wish I had those last two to three hours of my life back. What a waste of time that was. Maybe you say that on Sunday mornings after you leave this place too. Like, I really wish I had the last hour of my life back um, after that. Um, You probably do. That's okay. Um, If not, you might think that after today's message. uh, Because today we are going to talk about time a little bit. uh, But we're also going to be talking about money. Now I know nobody really likes to talk about money, especially not in church. But here's what I also know. Uh, Pretty much every person that I know has concerns about money and finances. Whether they have a little bit of it or a lot of bit of it, everyone seems to have a little bit of a concern about money. And, And Jesus was really concerned about money as well. In fact, it's one of the things that he talked about the most throughout his whole ministry. And what Jesus did whenever he talked about money, he always talked about money in connection to something bigger. He always talked about money in connection to eternity. He saw that there was a connection between the things that we have in this world and something that is so much bigger than this world. World, And so I want to take us to a passage of Jesus's teaching where he connects chronology and commodity, time and money. And so uh, one day Jesus is out teaching and the crowds are gathered around him to hear. And all of a sudden a dispute breaks out in the crowd. And there, there's some arguing going on over, uh, over money and possessions and greed. And so here's what it says from Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, what was customary at the time is uh, whenever someone passed away and an inheritance was left, if there was like two brothers, the oldest brother would get about two thirds of the inheritance and the younger brother would get uh, probably about a third. So maybe this is the younger brother saying, hey, I want a 50-50 split. Uh, Maybe I want some more than that. Uh, Or just my brother is hoarding it all and he's not being nice uh, because brothers have a tendency to do that, right? Uh, So Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, listen to this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And I just love the way that Jesus responds to this because he doesn't respond to it at all. That so often we try to manipulate God to have God do what we desire. But Jesus has a way of always pointing us back to doing what God desires, putting God's desires 
first above ours, that God cannot be manipulated. And so he goes on and he tells uh, a parable. Now, a parable is a fictional story. It didn't actually take place, but it's a story that points us to a greater truth about ourselves, about others, and about God. And so here's the parable that Jesus shares uh, from the next verse. He says, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man, let's call this rich man Barney, yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, self, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And everybody in the audience who heard Jesus tell this parable let out a collective boo-hoo. Oh, poor Barney. He's got so much that he doesn't even know what to do with it all. That they felt the same way that you and I feel when we hear about rich people getting richer. The people who get breaks get some more breaks. The people who have enough money to make an investment, make an investment that doubles. The guy who has extra now has extra, extra. And when the people heard this parable from Jesus, they probably felt the same way that you and I do. They got envious. Well, great for Barney, but what about me, Jesus? What, what are you trying to talk about? He's got more than, than he knows what to do with. What's, what's Barney going to do with all that grain? And Jesus goes on. And he tells what he did with the abundance of this bumper crop. In the next verse, then it, he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, Self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Barney decides to tear down his existing barns that probably had some grain stored in them already and to build newer, bigger ones. And then he's going to do what all of us hope to do one day, retire. Or maybe you're already there. Good for you. Barney says, I'm just going to take life easy, eat, drink, and be Mary. And if Jesus had just stopped the parable here, it'd be a nice little parable about saving for retirement. I mean, this is, this is something that we should give to every college graduate so that they can hang this parable up on their cubicle of their first job. You know, let's save towards retirement. Let's be, let's be wise about our money. But the story isn't over. It's not over. This is the next verse. So God said to him, you fool. You fool. Well, hold on, hold on. Why is Barney a fool? I mean, it it sounds like he was actually pretty wise. I mean, he made a good investment, saved up for retirement. He's got this nice little nest egg to live off of for the rest of his days. I mean, Jesus, what's, what's so wrong with that? Let me just give a disclaimer. Jesus in this story is not saying that you know, you shouldn't be wise about saving money. I mean, there's plenty of, of examples about people uh, wisely saving their possessions throughout the Bible. I mean, after all, if you remember the story of Joseph uh, from the book of Genesis, uh, that Joseph rescued the entire uh, nation of Egypt. He, he saved his, his family because he gave the wise advice that during the seven fat years of abundance, the harvest abundance, that they should save all that in order to prepare for the seven lean years of famine. 
should be wise about saving. But, 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 concern for the future, concern for the future is always balanced by concern for others. And concern for the future is always, always about giving thanks back to God. And so far in this story, we have seen Barney do neither, neither. For all that he has, for this great bumper crop, this harvest, he's, he's never even simply said, hey, thanks, God. And, and, and the thing throughout it all is that there's, there's a problem with his pronouns, that all throughout the parable, there's this proliferation of the first person pronoun. For Barney, it's all about me, myself, and I. That he has the assumption that if it is laid in my hands, if it's placed in my hands, then guess what? It's for me. If it has been given to me, then it is mine to consume. Consumption is the assumption of this story. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be just kind of the common assumption that we see within our culture. That if it is placed in my hands, then it's up to me to decide how I get to use it. I'll save it now, and I'll consume it later. I mean, that's just kind of the default in our culture, that if it's given to me, then it is for me. But then Jesus says something that challenges that assumption, challenges kind of everything about our assumption that everything is for our own consumption. So he says this, he says, uh, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The answer is someone, someone else. Someone else will get what he has stored up for himself. And not because he was generous. Someone else is going to get it, not because he was generous, but because he's dead. That's why someone else is going to get it. And, and maybe, you know, his kids, maybe his heirs get the leftovers of what he has so that it all doesn't go in vain. But leaving behind something is not the same as giving it away. That just leaving behind the leftovers is, is not the same as intentionally giving it away. Because here's, here's the truth. At the end of our lives, our generosity is all going to be the same. We are all going to give the same percentage, 100%. We are all going to give the same, whether you have a little bit or a lot of it when you leave this place, we are all going to give everything that we have because there's no storage facilities in heaven. There's no barns for Barney to store his surplus grain. And if we only invest in ourselves... If we only invest in ourselves, me, myself, and I, then that's a poor investment. Because one day, I don't know if you know this or not, but one day, all of our investments are going to close. They're going to come to an end. And so we're left with this question, you know, what, what, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? What's, what's the whole point of this teaching? Well, then Jesus goes on and he says something that, that changes everything because he ends up, I think, changing the way that we see the world and changing the way that we see our stuff within this world. And when we end up seeing differently, we inevitably begin to do differently. 
And so at the end of this little story, Jesus has just one last thing to say, just one little bit of commentary to add on at the end of it. And this is what he says to everyone else who's in the crowd. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now we've all heard before that you can't take your stuff with you when you die. There's no storage facilities in heaven. There's no barns for Barneys to store his extra, extra. But really the the theological punch that, that Jesus gives is in those last three words, rich towards God. And it begs the question, at least for me, well, how can someone be rich towards God? I mean, if God is, after all, God, omnipotent and all of that other stuff, why do we need to be rich towards God? Does God need a loan? Does God need a handout? You know, is God going broke? What's going to happen, right? Can't let God go bankrupt here. Um, So let me help you understand this idea a little bit. Uh, Being rich towards God was not a new idea that Jesus introduced in this story. In fact, it's, it's something that's been around uh, way before Jesus came and taught about it. Um, you see, during uh, the pagan religions of Jesus' time, it was common that you would be rich towards your God, that you would be rich towards Zeus, rich towards Athena, rich towards your tribal God of your surrounding area. And what that meant was that you brought something directly to that God or that temple of that God to be sacrificed to it. So you bring a goat to your God to sacrifice to it. You have some extra grain. You go and you uh, bring that grain as an offering it to your God, usually in hopes that God would return the favor and be nice to you and provide you with children and protection and all of that other stuff. But for Jesus, for Jesus, the way to be rich towards God was was totally different. That he taught another way of being rich towards God. That for Jesus, the way that you are to be rich towards God was to be rich towards the people that God created that you give back to God by actually giving away, not to God, but to other people. I mean, we believe that, that everything that we have, everything within this world ultimately comes from God, ultimately belongs to God. And individually, we are just managers of this small amount that we have. And so we have this opportunity with the little bit amount of time that we have on this earth and the little bit amount of resources that we have and the possessions that we have to bless others with it. And by blessing others with it, Jesus says that's, that's actually how you become rich towards God. When you don't think about just me, myself, and I, but you actually begin to think about others. That's how you become rich towards God. And it means that you don't have to do anything in God's direction. That there is, there is no way that you can pay the God that Jesus talks about. There's no way that you can pay this God directly. Instead, God calls us, Jesus calls us, to pay attention to the middleman. Be rich towards God's children, and you will be rich towards God. He explains this further. In the, in the same chapter, it's kind of the same setting, if you just skip down a few verses to verse 33, Jesus says, So go, sell your possessions, and give to the church. No, 
He doesn't say that. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. This isn't about giving to the church. I mean, if you want to, I'm not going to stop you from it. And I think that we do quite a bit for the poor in our community and within the world. But, but this isn't about an institutional obligation that we have to a religious establishment. No, Jesus is talking about something bigger than that. He's talking about being generous, being rich towards God by being rich towards other people. He says, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also so if you're a person who has extra and especially if you're a person who has like extra extra then you don't need to be rich towards yourself you need to be rich towards god And by being rich towards God, that means that you are rich towards other people. The people that God has placed in your path as an opportunity for you to bless them, to be generous towards them. Because Jesus warns us, he says, the number one contender for your heart is your stuff. The number one contender for your heart is going to be your stuff. The danger that Jesus is pointing out in this parable is that, look, I know that enough, it's never going to be enough. That more only leads to just more hoarding. And that I, me, and mine, that ends up mattering more than anyone else. The greed is what keeps us from being rich towards God and rich towards other people. Now, Jesus was way ahead of his time when he said this, but, but it still applied to his day as, as much as it does to our own because we've all seen people who have given their heart over to their, their treasures. We've all seen people who have given their heart over to their stuff because the prevailing assumption is that if it is given to me, then it is for me. The assumption is that it is mine to consume. But here's the truth that Jesus is trying to get at. Here's here's the point of this whole passage is that you have a limited amount of time and you have a limited amount of resources, of money and all of that. And and for many of us, not all of us, but but for many of us, we are going to run out of time before we run out of money. And while you're on your deathbed, While you're on your deathbed, I don't think that you're going to regret the money that you have given away. I've spent a lot of time by people's bedsides, and never once have I heard them regret spending less and giving more. Never once have I heard somebody say, you know, I really regret not upgrading to first class every time I flew. I I really regret not getting that car. I I really regret not ordering just more junk off of Amazon. If only I hadn't given so much money away to the poor and the hungry. If if only I hadn't given so much money away to this nonprofit, this organization. If, If only I wasn't so generous. I've never heard somebody say that before. Because you don't miss the money that you give away. You might miss the money that you waste. Sure, we've all done that, right? 
You might miss the money that you invest and it doesn't turn out right. You might miss the money that you loan to your brother-in-law and he just goes and blows it. But you don't miss the money. You don't miss the money that you give away. Because whether, whether you acknowledge this or not, I, I think that we all know that when we're rich towards other people, that we're being rich towards something that is bigger than ourselves. That when we're rich towards other, we're, we're being rich towards something or someone that is so much bigger than just me, myself, and I. That whether we acknowledge it or not, when we're rich towards others, ultimately we're being rich towards God. And so John Wesley, the founder of... Uh, the Methodist movement, where we find kind of our theological home here at First Dunedin. Uh, John Wesley took these uh, meticulous notes all, all throughout his life. He kept a journal. And so we know that when John Wesley kind of first started his career as kind of a professor and a pastor, that he made about 30 pounds, he was British, he made about 30 pounds a year for his salary. And so he lived off of 28 pounds that first year and gave two pounds away. The next year, he made 60 pounds, and he lived off of 28 pounds and gave 32 pounds away. And by the time he was later on in life and kind of finishing up his career, he was making 1,400 pounds a year, but he was still living on that 28-pound salary, that 28-pound lifestyle. Obviously, cost of living was more from inflation, but he kept that same minimal standard lifestyle of 28 pounds. That's impressive. That's admirable. And, and it's admirable because that's just not the way that most of us live our lives, that most of us have the assumption that if it's placed in my hands, then it's mine to consume and use however I want. But maybe you know someone who's done the same thing. And maybe you are that someone who has kind of done the same thing throughout your life, throughout your career. I mean, churches have been built by people like that. Hospitals have been built by people like that. Orphanages have been built by people like that. Wells have been dug. Diseases have been prevented because of people like that. And it's not because. It's not because that there were just a few who had a lot and gave a little. That's, that's significant, certainly. But what really changes the world is the people who see the world so differently that they see that what has been given to them is not just for them to consume, but it's to bless others, to be rich towards God by being rich towards God's children. They have the assumption that if it's placed in my hand, then it's not necessarily automatically for me, but it's for me to use and me to share with someone else. And so this idea was picked up by the Apostle Paul uh, years years later, uh, who just kind of hits us right in the face with it. I mean, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't tell us a nice little story like Jesus does. Um, instead, he just gives it to us straight. And he's writing this letter to his protege, Timothy. So here it is from 1 Timothy. Paul says this, Command those who are rich in this present 
world. So, present world, is there like a future world? Is there another world that I don't quite know about? Uh, Why doesn't he just say, like, command those who are rich and just end there? But uh, Paul must believe that there is something else besides just this life, that there's something more to this life than just this life. And he says, command those who are are rich. And we might be tempted, you might be tempted right now to just tune out and like, okay, he's talking about the rich people. That's not me. Okay. I, I know that. I know it's in my bank account. Okay. My boss needs to hear this. My in-laws need to hear this. My neighbor who just moved into that nice new subdivision down the street, they need to hear this. They're the rich ones. I'm not. But let's just hold on. Because guess what? If you have a house, If you have a car, if you have two cars, if you have a computer, if you have a wardrobe, even if you don't fit into all of it, but you have a wardrobe, guess what? In the eyes of about 90% of the world, you're rich, like really, really rich. Even though you may not feel rich, you are. And I am. We have some extra, a whole lot of extra for some of us. And so listen up to what he says. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. And he goes on saying, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. In other words, if you want to follow Jesus, don't be like Barney. Don't be like Barney. And then he kind of lands the plane here with this next verse. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure. Treasure. They will lay up uh, treasure for themselves as a firm foundation. And so just like, hold on. We're talking to people who are already rich and we're, Paul's saying like, they're going to just have more treasure. Why do rich people need more treasure? And, and also the math here just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense because, I mean, I'm not very good at math, but I know this, that if you have some money and you're generous, give some money away to some other people, then that means that you have less for yourself. So Paul says they're to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves. But he goes on as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He says, look, if you want, if you want to truly live then don't just live for yourself. Don't just live for me, myself, and I. If you want to take hold of the life that is truly life, then don't hold your stuff so tightly. Because learning to see your wealth, learning to see your riches, learning to see your possessions through the lens of eternity loosens your grip on it, and it loosens its grip on you. Learning to see your money, your stuff, the way that God sees your stuff changes the way that you hold on to it. It opens up your hands. And so here's just the simple ending for what I think is just a really simple message. That if we actually believe this, if we actually believe that 
that everything comes from God, that everything in this world ultimately belongs to God, then what little time we have and what little money that we have is an opportunity to just be rich to someone else, to be rich to God by being rich to others. That changes everything because for too long we've bought into this assumption that if it's for me, then it's all for my own consumption. That if it's given to me, then it is for me. But that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Paul is saying here. Take off the glasses and see the world through the lens of eternity. See the world the way that God sees the world because everything, everything is God's. And we're just mere managers of it. Managers, though. Managers who have an opportunity to be generous and change the world with what we have. And so, if your money really is ultimately God's, who will you generously share it with? And also, hear me out. This this isn't just about dollar bills, right? That, that if your kitchen table is God's, who will you invite to share a meal around it? That if your car is God's, who, who will you offer a ride to in it? That, that if everything ultimately is God's and we are just managers of it, then, then how are you using it? Are you being rich towards others or are you just being rich towards yourself? You know, week after week after week, we, we sing songs and we talk about a God who is so generous to us, a God who gives everything. God gave us so much that he even gave us his own son. And in return, God asks us and says, look, I don't need your son. I don't need your son. What I ask is that you just give a portion, a portion to someone else who needs it that you would be rich to me by being rich towards my children, your neighbors, your brothers and sisters. That's how God invites us to see the world. And that's how we begin to change the world. Be rich. Be rich to God by being rich to others. Let's pray. So, Lord, God, help us to um, understand that truth. That everything in this world, everything in this life, Lord, is, is ultimately yours. Because, God, we have a tendency, we confess, to want to make it our own, put our stamp on it, lay claim to it, and say, look what I did. But, God, help us to remember that it's not about us. Instead, help us to see with what little time we have, with what little money possessions that we have, help us to see all of it as an opportunity to bless someone else. That we wouldn't hold so tightly to things, but that our hands would be open. And Lord, our prayer is also kind of a selfish one, that as we open up our hands God, that our hearts would be free, that we'd find a true treasure there. We'd learn how to truly live. And God, if this is challenging for any of us, 
And God, we, we confess that, that it is. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to give us courage to live generously, to be rich to you and rich to others. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.